You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Uh, As always, I want to start with a call out to our new listeners. And this week, very pleased to welcome listeners from London, Guildford, Brighton, Twickenham, Salisbury, Dartford, Gloucester, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Bristol, Slough, Leicester, Luton, Rochester, Peterborough and Belfast. But also especially pleased to welcome our overseas listeners. And I I know we now have listeners in Antwerp in Belgium, around the Hague area in the Netherlands, uh, Tilburg in the Netherlands, Bern in Switzerland, Mumbai in India, Stockholm in Sweden and in the USA, both sides of the USA now, both East Coast and West Coast, and special welcome to our listeners in New York, San Francisco and Naples in Florida. Uh, but wherever you're listening to this week's episode from, a very warm welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in just a second, the contents of this week's show. As always, I can't thank you enough for all of you taking the time to listen to my show. And uh, I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Check us out on Facebook. So coming up in this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have a breaking news story on a GDPR extortion attempt against High Street name Superdrug. We have some thoughts on how GDPR and HR work together and what you need to do both in relation to applicants for jobs and indeed when employees leave your employment. We have news of a major data breach at Lewisham Council in uh, South London. We have some thoughts on our visit this week to one of our clients, a well worthwhile charity called the Rosemary Foundation. Uh, we have some thoughts on an unintended consequence maybe of GDPR, which is uh, affecting exam results and students and indeed the uh, cost base of examination boards and then finally this week we have some news on an event that's happening at SAL in November at SAL in London uh, the Data Protection World Forum and uh, you can catch all the details about that towards the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. One of the major breaking news stories this week in the world of GDPR has been what could possibly be the first case of GDPR-related extortion attempt against the high street store Superdrug. It's an interesting case, this, because a group of cyber criminals are claiming that they have stolen the details of 20,000 people who had registered on Superdrug's website. Superdrug have denied that there has been any data at all, but as a safeguard have advised all their online customers to change their passwords. It's not believed that any financial information has been taken, if indeed any information has been stolen at all. But it would of course make sense if you are a Superdrug customer via their website to make sure that you uh, update your password and change it 
and preferably don't change it to a password that you're using on other services. But this whole superdrug issue raises a much wider issue because it's the first time that certainly I'm aware of that a group has claimed to have stolen data from a source and yet the source can find absolutely no evidence that its computer systems have been breached. Now, of course, this is, you know, could be a case of he says, they say, but against that, I would believe that a high street store the size of Superdrug would have some sophisticated uh, hacking detection processes in place. And the company have said in a statement that they believe that the hacker in not obtained these details from Superdrug, but has indeed obtained the email addresses and passwords from other websites, and then used those details to access the accounts on the Superdrug website. So i.e., let's suppose you have an account on um, Tesco's or Sainsbury's or Morrison's or one of the other big high street websites, and you use the same username and password, as used for the Superdrug site, then what Superdrug are alleging is that the hacker has taken the data from that other site and has then used those details to enable them to legitimately, well not quite legitimately, but in an unhacking way, log in to someone's account on the Superdrug website. So it does perhaps emphasise the need to not use the same password across multiple services, even though many of us do, because it's the easy way to do things. Um, perhaps a little more thought needs to be into making usernames and passwords unique across the different services that you use. Because cyber criminals do routinely exploit poor password practices. And that means, of course, that if they do succeed in stealing your details from one online provider, they can then use them in any other provider. And they will just go on a phishing expedition to see where those details work. Superdrug have carried out some real deep digging into this and as I say they believe it was just an extortion attempt, they believe it was an attempt to uh, get them to pay a ransom in effect to get these data records returned to them. Superdrug's uh, examination has found that as far as they can tell only 386 customers out of some 20,000 have actually been affected and it says that in those deep cases they have made contact personally with those customers to advise them on what might have happened. And they do emphasise again that no payment details have been exposed. The only thing that people may have gained access to is things like address, date of birth, telephone number. But of course that would provide the hackers with sufficient information to carry out identity fraud and to register on other services pretending to be the person whose data they now have. To their credit, Superdrug have been fully uh, compliant with the ICO and helping the ICO with their investigation. And indeed, Superdrug have also said they've notified the UK's National Fraud and Cybercrime Reporting Centre, Action Fraud, about the incident. But this is an interesting case, you know, because I think a number of us in, in the industry suspected that this sort of false blackmail 
may occur at some point and let's make no hesitation about it let's call it out for what it is it is blackmail and it's very difficult you know because what Superdrug's argument is is that the customer profile across all the high street stores and major online retailers is probably pretty similar so if, for instance, in this case, someone had actually got hold of the details of somebody from Boots, then those details may well work logging into Superdrug, but that doesn't prove that Superdrug had a data breach. And so, again, it makes it harder, if you like, for the ICO to um, come to any rapid conclusions, because unless someone's network has obviously been breached and in this case Superdrug as I say are adamant that their network has not been breached then is this really a GDPR crime or is it purely extortion is it purely an attempt to extract money from someone in return for the information and that's what it would seem to be so I think the important thing would be to say that, you know, a lesson for everyone here would be to try not to use the same username and password across multiple instances, multiple retailers, multiple outlets, because you're just asking for information, you're just asking for trouble for yourself. And that's why, of course, that now some institutions particularly banks but maybe we'll see it spread into other institutions too are looking more towards two-factor authentication so it's no longer enough to just have a username and a password they also have either an external device that generates a code or they sms a code to your known mobile phone number and unless you can enter that code into the website you can't go any further. Um, so I think there's actions to be taken on both sides here. I think there's actions that individuals need to take to protect their data more, to make it more difficult for people to get what their username and password might be, to not use the same username and password across multiple outlets. But equally, I think there's also a call upon um, retailers, and particularly major retailers, to think about how they can use two-factor authentication to make their own processes more secure so that they can be more confident. Uh, it's obviously impossible for any of us outside of the situation to know how secure Superdrug are, how robust their anti-hacking software is, how good their detection software is at detecting attempts to hack their, so their database, but we have to take their word for it. And, uh, Again, this is one of those stories that I think is going to run and run. So as soon as there is an update on this, either from the ICO or from Superdrug, I will, of course, bring it to you in a future edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. It's our aim in this podcast to not only bring you the latest news from the world of GDPR, as important as that is, but also to highlight best practice and to give you some food for thought on how you should be implementing GDPR 
within your own organisations. And I just want to spend a couple of minutes uh, talking about how GDPR and HR, so GDPR and Human Relations, uh, fit together. There's probably a few areas in the whole employment HR process where GDPR needs to be thought about. But one of the most important of those is probably over the whole area of criminal record checks. If you're employing someone into a position where there is a need to check whether they have a criminal record or not to carry out a CRB check, then it's important to think where in the employment process you actually carry out that check. Because bearing in mind GDPR's overriding requirement that you should only hold information about an individual which is necessary to perform the purposes for which you hold that information at that moment in time. So it's probably not a good idea to seek a CRB check on every applicant who applies for a job. I would suggest it's probably not even a good idea to seek a CRB check on every applicant selected for interview. I think if you want to be totally safe and not have an allegation that you're holding data you shouldn't be holding, then I think it would be best to either only carry out those CRB checks when you're down to a short list of no more than two or three, or preferably only carry out the CRB check once you've made a conditional job offer to one of the applicants for the job. It's very important, of course, that however you carry out the CRB check, that unless that person is subsequently employed by you, you probably shouldn't hold on to the outcome from that CRB check for any longer than you absolutely must do. So do handle CRB checks very carefully because they are a potential hot potato uh, under people's rights under GDPR. And the other area where GDPR and HR come together is actually at the other end of the employment spectrum. So when someone leaves your employment, typically while someone is in our employment, um, as an employer, we will hold next of kin details for that employee. So who we should contact in the event of that employee, unfortunately, having an accident or falling ill while they're at work. Once the employee leaves, however, you really have no justifiable reason to hold on to that next of kin information. So you should either remove that information from the employee's record and thread it, or at the very least, redact it so that it's no longer visible within the employee's records. And I think it's quite important that you build that into your HR process as one of the things you do when an employee ceases to be one of your employees. I'm going to cover some more um, about how GDPR and HR work together over the next few episodes of the podcast. So uh, listen out for that in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. There's been a second example of a um, ransomware attack involving GDPR this week, and that was at Lewisham Council. 
Lewisham Council say that around 6,000 people have had their financial details put at risk after their IT system was hacked. Now, this is slightly different to the superdrug scenario we discussed a few minutes ago because in Lewisham's case, they are admitting that their system was hacked and indeed data has been taken, including financial data, which is on a very serious risk, of course. In a statement, Ian Thomas, the chief executive of Lewisham, said the council sincerely regrets how its portal was used by its digital team and had been compromised. The portal that was illegally accessed by cybercriminals was part of a data analysis project and outside of Lewisham's main IT network, and it's important to stress uh, on Lucian's behalf that it's fully believed that their core IT system has been unaffected. Nonetheless, there were about 6,000 people's data on this system that has been compromised. And the type of data which may have been affected by attack includes all sorts of sensitive data. Uh, includes uh, details about individuals' council tax, individuals' housing benefit, individuals' housing needs, indeed even adult social care education and planning and so this does represent a very very serious data breach and uh, the ICO is currently working with Lewisham but it can be expected I think that at some point in the future Lewisham will suffer a financial penalty for uh, this attack. Lewisham said it became aware of the incident when it was contacted by someone claiming that they had the data that it was encrypted that they'd encrypted it and that the victim would have to pay a ransom fee to unencrypt it. In this case, the victim being Lewisham Council. Uh, the hacking attempt has been reported to the police and the police are conducting a criminal investigation. The council says it's directly contacting all those impacted by the attack. Uh, if residents have not received a letter by now, they can assume that their financial data was not affected. Ian Thomas, their chief executive, went on to say that residents using our services are our highest priority. We sincerely regret this matter and are fully committed to doing everything we can to support those who may have been affected. If you believe you have been affected, that there is a uh, help desk number issued by Lewisham Council and that number is 0800 953 3045. So if you believe your data may have been affected, if you live in Lewisham, you believe your data may have been affected by this uh, cyber attack, then please do contact their help desk on 0800 953 3045. As with the super drug story we broke a little earlier, if there was any update on this in the coming weeks, I will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Thank you for listening to the GDPR Weekly Show, uh, where we aim to keep you up to date on all of these latest developments in the world of GDPR. Check us out on Facebook. I'm occasionally going to talk about some of our clients uh, in this podcast, A, to say what we're doing for them, and B, also to maybe draw on some general experiences from them, which hopefully will be helpful to you too. And so it was a real pleasure this week to visit one of our clients, uh, the Rosemary Foundation, a local charity. They provide home care for people in the last weeks or even days of their lives. And uh, they provide a fantastic service. 
but it was really interesting talking to them about their specific requirements and their specific concerns under GDPR because clearly they deal with a lot of sensitive data at a very sensitive time in people's lives. And it was good to see that even prior to our visit, the amount of good thought they'd put into how they were going to handle people's personal data. And uh, although we identified a few small areas where we are going to need to do some work with them, and uh, I'll maybe cover some of those in a future podcast, it was good to see how prepared they already were, how much thought they'd given to it. And so congratulations to the team there at Rosemary Foundation. And uh, it would be a real pleasure to interview uh, Jeremy Mitchell from the Rosemary Foundation in a podcast episode coming up in a couple of weeks' time. And I think you'll all be very interested to hear his take, both on what they do as a charity, how GDPR is affecting them as a charity, and also the opportunities that they see GDPR presenting to improve their administration within their organisation. Whilst out at uh, seeing Rosemary Foundation at their premises in just outside Langrish, a little village just outside Petersfield in Hampshire, I discovered a piece of local history that I didn't know. Uh, on the same site as the Rosemary Foundation is a small office block called Concord House. I've got to be honest and say I'd never given it a passing thought as to why it was called Concord House. And so I was astonished on my visit to the site last week to find that, in fact, it was the building where the drawings for Concord were first put together. And that Concord indeed was the last major airliner to actually have its design drawings drawn by hand. And also, the site has a second claim to fame in connection with Concord, in that the famous Concord drooping nose cone was actually manufactured at the moulding site next to Concord House in Langridge. So it just goes to show sometimes what you don't know about your own little local area. So if you've got little snippets like that about your local area, it doesn't necessarily have to be about GDPR, do uh, drop me an email and let me know, and uh, I'll gladly mention them on a future programme. Uh, drop me an email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot And I look forward to hearing from you. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. An unexpected benefit of the introduction of GDPR affects every student, every young person in the UK because the Information Commissioner's Office have ruled that GDPR now gives the right to all students to obtain copies of their examination results for free. So examination boards will no longer be able to charge for the provision of exam results, whether that's in their initial issue of the results or indeed if a student were to lose the results and request the results again in the future. And of course this, because of the way GDPR works, won't only impact on people who are students now, but in fact any of us who have been at school at any point in time could now apply to our examination boards to get 
copies of our exam results if we happen to have lost them between when we left school and, and now. And uh, of course, this is one, again, another example where when there was a charge, maybe not many people would have bothered, yeah, unless you're applying for a job and they're asking to see your certificate or proof of your exam results. Why would you bother? But if now, as indeed is the case, you can do it for free, then this could present a real potential deluge of requests to the examination boards, which could of course have a effect on the examination boards, both in terms of their manpower and in terms of financial cost, because of course the whole point of GDPR is that you can't now charge to release someone's personal information to them, except in certain circumstances. It is important though to remember that this only covers, this region from the ICO, only covers the exam results themselves. It doesn't cover your right to get copies of your answers to your exam questions or for your paper to be remarked. That's still allowed to be charged for. And to give you an idea of charges on those, the exam board AQA currently charges £11.30 per paper for those who want to look at their exam papers, while OCR charges £11.35. And those charges will remain in place. Um, they're not affected, but actually getting your result is now for free. And of course, as with all aspects of GDPR, unless there's a very good reason, then the examination board only has 30 days to provide those results to you. And uh, I, think, I think this could have a major impact, you know, on some of these exam boards, because when you think how many people over the years have taken their exams, what if suddenly you know, even 10% of the people who've taken the exams in the last 30 years ask for their results and the board has to produce it within 30 days. Quite a challenge, I think. And uh, again, maybe one of those unintended consequences of GDPR, but it will doubtless affect the business model of examination boards and how they provide their administrative support. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. An event for your diaries uh, on the 20th and 21st of November 2018 at the XL Conference Centre in London uh, is the Data Protection World Forum. Uh, it's a conference spread over two days. There are a number of GDPR-related topics coming up at the conference, including uh, GDPR, the future of marketing and advertising, a GDPR health check, GDPR and HR, how to achieve ongoing compliance, and of course GDPR and HR is something that we've been talking about in this episode of the podcast, and also business development in a post-GDPR world, and I think that's something as well which will be of interest to lots of people of just how does GDPR impact upon business development and how do we make sure that business continues to develop for everyone, even accepting the privacy constraints that GDPR places on us. So it's promising to be a really good conference and expo. Excel, if you don't know it, is very easy to get to. It's out in Docklands, just to the east of London. Um, it's by the Jubilee Line for underground. Um, it's 
also very close to London City Airport, so for visitors from overseas it's very easy to arrive there, and it also has other good transport links. Uh, it's not great though to drive to, it has to be said, so it's a good case to use public transport, uh, most definitely if you can, because it makes your journey there much, much simpler. I'm going to be there on both days. If you'd like to meet up with me during the tours of the Protection World, Data Protection World Forum, then of course I'd be delighted to meet with you. Please just drop me an email to podcasts at insurity.co.uk uh, with a note of which date, the 20th or the 21st, works best for you. And uh, we can arrange to meet at the conference. Um, I'll be talking some more about the conference in uh, a future episode of the podcast between now and November. And uh, indeed, hopefully we'll be getting to interview one of the organisers and uh, have that discussion. But just a note for your diary, so if you haven't got it in there already, please pencil in the dates, 20th and 21st November at XL in London. Check us out on Facebook. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember, keep your data safe. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.